you. Let's pray. God, you are great. You can do anything and nothing thwarts your purpose. We bow humbly before you. There's nothing we can do but bow humbly before you. Thank you for the privilege we have in knowing you personally and being able to walk personally with you. And please help us always to recognize that you are the God that will drive us to our knees when we see you. Getting my Bible. <clears throat> I mean, I can probably preach without my notes, but most of you would leave before I'm done, I'm sure. There's a lot of you here. Thank you. You trust me at least, huh? Let's put these on. How many of you use Google Maps for the navigation purposes? Isn't that a wonderful tool? Go north on Lodgepole Avenue. In 500 feet, turn left on Hellenius Way. Turn right on Gramsbury Road. My favorite, your destination is on the right. <laughs> Unfortunately, as Christians, we don't get that from God, do we? When we live our lives and we have decisions to make, how I have often longed for a Google Maps version of what God wants for me to do. I remember as a high schooler, a new Christian, it was always about knowing God's will and making the decisions in God's will and being in the center of God's will. And what a burden and a nightmare that was because we never really could know exactly what was God's will. Right? Right. Because we live ambiguity as Christians, right? God doesn't give us this Ikea worksheet on how to assemble this, this, this life of ours, you know, where the pages are numbered and the parts are numbered and the steps are numbered and the arrows are your We don't get that in our lives. And that's distressing a lot for us. You know, and even more so is when things happen for us, to us, or to people we love, when the unthinkable, when the disaster happens. We want answers. We want to know why. God doesn't always do things that are aligned with our sense of justice, rightness, fairness, love. And he allows things to happen. We've been hitting on this ever since John preached in August. God allows things to happen that leaves us scratching our heads. You know, we're suffering in the martyrdom of, of the saints over the years. The fire in Maui, the earthquake in Morocco, the 2004 earthquake and tsunami in Indonesia that killed over almost a quarter million people. God allows these things, and we wonder why. He doesn't give us answers. Again, ambiguity. We deeply want them, the answers. There's something in our being that says, I want to know. I need to know. And often it's because we think we need the answers so that we can have peace and move on in our life of faith. 
if I only knew why this happened to so-and-so, if I only knew why this happened to my child or my parents or to me, if I just understood God's reasoning, I'd be at peace. But in truth, we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see God giving us his whys. There's some exceptions. You know, God told Noah why he was going to flood the earth and kill millions of people. And God told Abraham what he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. He revealed what was happening there. And we have prophets who, even though there's folks who tell us what's happening in the future, it's clouded in metaphor and analogy and symbolism that we can't understand and in all those cases where God did reveal his purposes, it was always before the fact and not after. And we're always stuck in the situation of wondering after the fact, why God? And we crave those answers. But in scripture, we don't see it. And that can be a clear observation. You look through there and you just won't find God answering to people as to why he did things to them or around them. That's not his way. And that tells us something about God in that it's intentional. He does not give us his reasoning for a reason. His reasoning. And that bugs us, a lot of us, okay? And so what do we do when we want these answers? We seek clarity. Why? Because we, in decisions, we want God's best. We want to do what's right. We want to be in the center of God's will. So why doesn't he have me turn right on Finance 31? And why doesn't he tell me that your destination is on the left? You know, why doesn't he do that? What I see a lot of believers do in the absence of God's direction is we come up with answers for ourselves. We try to discern God's reasoning or we try to discern guidance from God. Here's what happens. When disaster strikes people, I see three reactions. Well, first of all, we always ask the question, why God, why? And then there's two types of those questions. There's the, the righteous um, heart outpouring of a believer to God and in an answer-seeking way that's not disrespectful or not disobedient. We have Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have David in Psalms, you know, why do you stand afar off? Why do you let the, the evil ones prosper? Um, and we have Habakkuk saying, you know, why do you, you let me see evil? These are honest questions we have, but then there's also the dishonest type where people accuse God and, and complain and, and, and just want to know the answers and I'm upset and you should answer to me and we see Moses doing this when the nation of Israel was complaining about the manna. We see Job doing this when he was wondering why God was contending with him. But most of us here I believe are asking God why because it's coming out of a, a tortured soul. We just want we just want to just want to know why. God still doesn't give us the answers. That's common but we reject God is one common response to people. They just reject him. God either is not there or he does not care. And either way, I have no use for a God like that. And so I reject him. And that allows me to avoid the questions of why God. I mean, that's something an atheist never has to, to worry about. An atheist, a true atheist, never asks why God. They just know it's the workings of the universe and there's no reason to rhyme to it and they just 
have to embrace the situation and move on. But for a believer, we know that God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a design. And what in the world did you do here? And how does this fit into that? We don't understand it. We don't see it. And so I'm afraid a lot of us can manufacture an answer for a reason. We come up with a reason why. We may interpret circumstances, may look around and say, oh, this happened and this happened and, and now this is a result of that. So, ah, this is why God did that. And you may be right, but you really don't know. And it could be that you're just frankly making things up. And why do we do that? We do that so we can have an answer and have peace and move on in our lives. There's a danger in this. There's a danger in looking at circumstances. There's a danger in interpreting thought. There's a danger in interpreting impressions that come to mind. One of the first ones is that we don't have a biblical, biblical example of God instructing us to do that. We don't have Apostle Paul telling us how to do that. We don't have Jesus instructing his disciples and saying, you know, when you see this and this and this happening around you, then you can know that that's God's reasoning and this is how you make that interpretation and this is where you go. Or when these thoughts arise in your mind, uh, this is how you'll know they're from God. We don't see that in the scriptures. In the book of Acts, we really don't see the saints, the apostles, the apostle Paul. We don't see them saying, okay, this circumstance, this circumstance, this circumstance must mean that God's directing me here. I've had this impression, this impression, this thought. Maybe this is why God's leading me here. Now, does God use circumstances to help us make decisions? Yes. Does God use internal thoughts in our minds to help us come to decisions? Yes. But so does your flesh. And so does Satan. Okay? How do you know? Living in ambiguity. Here's the challenge with trying to interpret circumstances and trying to interpret things from our own thoughts, internal impressions and things that come to mind, is that we are subjecting ourselves and we become vulnerable to the workings of our own mind. Your first scripture of the day is Jeremiah 17.9. How many of you had this memorized? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah. Deceitful. Where's the heart? Is this is it this central pumping organ in our chest here? No, it's up here, right? This is the center of our of our of our, of our passions, our emotions, our drives, our intellect, our thoughts, everything else. The heart's up here, between our ears, behind our eyes. This is where it's coming from, and this is the thing. Jeremiah is saying is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Let's talk about that. When we are trying to make decisions and impressions come to our mind, where are those coming from? When we are trying to discern the reasons and the whys of God and impressions come to our mind, where are those coming from? Well, let's talk about that for just a minute. Your brain, and there's been a lot of research in how the human mind works, and it's fascinating stuff. Okay? Our brains have two modes of operation. Number one is the automatic mode, where things happen without us having to tell it to do so. How many of you right now are directing your heart to pump blood? 
It's just not going to happen, right? You're not, you don't have to do that. Your brain is controlling all of that, and it's doing just fine. Thank you very much. How many of you have experienced uh, temptations? That didn't come from your reason. Okay, some of you raised your hands. All of you raised your hands. <laughs> just, so, just so we can all feel comfortable. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Those didn't come <clears throat> by you directing your brain to say, I think I want a temptation. Now, why don't you bring one up? These, these things happen automatically. So your brain has this mode that's doing this stuff. We'll talk a little bit more about that. <clears throat> has the reasoning mode as well. We have the automatic mode and the reasoning mode where we actually apply our brain to solve a problem, answer a question, make a decision, or whatever. Right? There's the reasoning mode and the automatic mode, two different modes. <clears throat> now, most of the impressions that come to our mind come from the automatic mode. Our brain is constantly at work trying to make sense of the environment around us and keeps feeding us information that allows us to make decisions according to what is happening around us. A lot of this happens every single day, and we don't really pay attention to it anymore because it's automatic and we grew up with it, and there you have it. <coughs> it just happens. So let's talk about the automatic mode. I'm reading a book called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. Thinking Fast and Slow. Fascinating discussions about research and how our brain works. What's most insightful to me on that is all the little exercises they have in there and the problems they have you to solve that show you that the automatic answers that come to your brain are often wrong. Okay? And, and since I read that book, I have watched my brain work and tell me things as I go about my day. And I'm not keeping score, but it is wrong probably more than half the time. But nonetheless, it keeps feeding me this information, keeps feeding me these ideas, keeps feeding me these conclusions because our brain is designed to make sense of our surroundings. It's designed to weave a cohesive story. It's designed to help us put things in order so we can survive and move forward. It does this in, I'm going to just talk about three of the ways it does this. Okay? <clears throat> One of the things that I find most alarming in Christians this thing that our brain does that it tends to pay attention to evidence and information and circumstances that affirm a desire we have or a decision that we've already made. It's called confirmation bias. Can you say that? Confirmation bias. It's what our brain does to affirm a decision already made. And what's, that's not so bad, but what's bad is that it suppresses the information and the other circumstantial information that opposes what we want and the decisions that we've made. Capture that. Your brain is actively filtering out information just so it can support something you want or a decision you've made, whether or not that's right or wrong. Your brain is doing that to you. Heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Another thing, the researchers call this the effect heuristic. Now, a heuristic is simply a, a rule set. It's a pattern to follow, and it's, it's just a, um, like a subroutine in a computer program, I think in those terms. Anyway, um, it's a rule set that your brain follows, and it's called the effect. An effect means, what is your affect right now? Are you feeling good? Are you physically well? Are you in an emotionally good state of being? 
And researchers have found that when we are in that state, our answers to problems and questions tend to be yes, or let's do it, or let's go for it. On the other hand, if you tend to be ill that day, or you're emotionally depressed, or something bad has happened to you, or you watched a sad movie, and you end up with the same questions, your answers will tend to be on the negative side. No, I don't want to do that. Let's pass the mountain. They do this by taking research subjects and they expose them to positive influences, movies, scenes, whatever, and they give them some questions. And the researchers and the, and the people who are being researched are going to answer these questions. The next day they'll do it to another set and they'll give them a negative influence in the movie and they'll ask them, ask them the same set of questions and that group will be negative. It's called the effect yoga, which tells you that your brain will guide your decision on the basis of your temporary physical and emotional condition right now. I don't help fully do that. You have a long-term decision to make. Am I going to make it on the basis of my short-term feelings? Your brain, your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? Let's talk about one more. <clears throat> it's called the availability heuristic. This one really scares me. when we have a question to answer or a decision to make, what our brain does is it draws upon that information which is most recent. Not necessarily most relevant. Not necessarily relevant at all. But just whatever is most recent. Here's how this research played out. Two groups of research subjects. They're ultimately going to be asked the question, what do you think the age of this politician is? Are they between 40 and 50? Or are they between the ages of 50 and 60? Now, before they ask this question, <coughs> they show them a short video of something totally irrelevant. But in that video, they're in a car and they're driving and they pass a road sign, a speed limit sign. One sign says 45 miles per hour. The next group is coming at the same question and they see this video beforehand and the speed limit sign says 55 miles per hour. And then they're asked these questions, and one of the questions is, what's your estimate of the age of this politician? The group that saw the 45-mile-an-hour sign guessed that their age is between 40 and 50. And the group that saw the 55-mile-an-hour sign guessed that the age is between 50 and 60. Why? Because that was the most recent number your brain had to work with, and that's what it chose, and you were biased accordingly. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the danger that we have as believers when we are trying to discern God's purpose and we want to know his plans, we want to make decisions, and we're using thoughts and impulses in our mind to guide us, we have to know that the brain is not the goal. Got to be smarter than that. I love this verse that says we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's out of context entirely, but that whole thought is valid. All right? We need to absolutely distrust our brains, our hearts, our impulses. We need to bring everything that we need to contemplate or make decisions over to God in prayer. And we need to engage that second part of our brain, that reasoning part of our brain, and look beyond the first impressions, the first impulses, 
and go out there and do the homework and have to be gather every piece of information possibly available for us to make those decisions and make those determinations. But what about being led by the Spirit? Does God lead us by the Spirit through his thoughts? Well, absolutely. It's sitting in your brain. And God does lead by the Spirit. But we need to be walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and engaging that second part of our brain to bring every thought captive and bathe it in prayer, wise counsel, thorough evaluations, solid, sound, honest reasoning, and then we can know for sure, comparing it biblically with what does God command us to do. How many of you saw the movie, The Jesus Revolution? Enough hands? Okay. In that movie, you saw a conflict between Chuck Smith and Lonnie Sparks. They both were feeling led by the Spirit for direction of the church, and they disagreed. They were both feeling led by the Spirit, and they disagreed. I was serving in a church in uh, northern Washington, small community church. I was on the elder board with them. And <clears throat> one Sunday morning, the person leading the worship here um, felt led by God to take up the entire service that morning in praise and singing to God. And he just did this whole thing. And he said, I can remember just because we're holding a piece of Jesus in our hand. And the person who prepared the message was just left sitting there. So at the elder board meeting on Thursday night after that, <clears throat> this question came up. Why did you do that? And his answer was, I just felt led by the Spirit of God to do this. And the guy who was preparing the speech said, I was being led by the Spirit of God all week long in preparing this message, and I was feeling empowered by the Spirit to deliver it this morning, and I was prevented from doing so. I was feeling led. I was feeling led. And one of the elders stood up and said, one of you is wrong. One of you is wrong. And yet they were both feeling led by the Spirit. Does that tell you something? Our heart is deceitful above all things. Our flesh is deceitful above all things. And we have to be aware. We have to be, we have to heed it of our weakness. <clears throat> I've often heard Christians decisions they've made and how God led them in decisions. It's a God thing. I hear that a lot. And, <clears throat> and then weeks later, days later, months later, I hear them bemoaning the situation and say, if God led me here, then why is it turning out to be just in my way? Why is this problem arising if God led me here? Now, it could be that God led them there and so they had that problem for them, but it could also be that they were simply trusting their own brain to make decisions. And it was affirming what they already wanted, and they were attributing that to God. That's our, that's our danger. We don't dare attribute things to God that we interpret from our own brain here. No. But here's the root of the issue. Does it really have to be so bad? Why? Why do we need to do these things? A lot of it, I believe, for me, where this really comes from, is that if I just understood God's will for me, if I just knew why, I could have peace and I could move on. If I just understood. Well, God's plan for us for peace 
is not that our peace would be based on our understanding of who we are. We never see that in Scripture. And, and why would that be? For those of you who oftentimes like to interpret circumstances to determine why God did something, have you ever noticed that every single one of your interpretations makes sense to you? <clears throat> it's reasonable. And it agrees with my sense of justice and rightness and love and all of that. <clears throat> okay? So let's look at poor Job. Why did he lose his children? Did God have a conversation with Satan? Did God have a tempting act with Satan? God allowed Satan to take his children and his wealth and ultimately in his health. Do you think Job could have come up with that reasoning on his own? This must be why God did this. I mean, their own reasoning was, I must have disobeyed because I had these plans. Oh, you didn't, but that's a different story. Um, <clears throat> he would never have come up with that. And, and, and what's more difficult is that if God had revealed that reasoning to Job, do you think he would have found peace in that reasoning? You took my kids because you had a bet with Satan. Not a bet, but you had this argument with Satan. You took my kids for that. Do you think you'd find peace with that? <clears throat> He wouldn't find peace with that any more than your bulldog would find peace if he cut his tail off because it's a fashionable thing to do. He suffers hardship for something that he finds hidden. But you don't understand. O oh Lord, my God, the quiet walks in his own way. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And what makes me think that if he shares his reasoning with me, that it's going to make sense and I'll find comfort in that. It may, but it also may not. It may be that the sole purpose of my life is to serve as a negative example to other people. So why do I look for peace, evident peace? Why do I look for reason? Let's talk about some scriptures. <clears throat> as to what God's real plan for this is. Fundamentally, God's strategy for us is that we walk by faith, not by sight. And looking for answers and reasons is walking by sight. If I knew what I could see, then I could be at peace and I could move on. No, that's not God's purpose for us. We walk by faith and not by sight. For the reason we just described, we don't understand God's purposes, even if he does lay them out for us. You may not agree with them. That won't lead you to peace. You know this. You mean me? You're going to contend with God about his reasons? Well, you're right. Where's that going to take me? I noticed Jesus' comments regarding the Pharisees when they were asking him for a sign. Of course, they were laying out a trap for him, and he knew that. But he said, an evil, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. And that's a different circumstance there, but... I notice his disfavor when he's dealing with people looking for peace. Now, Doubting Thomas wasn't such a case. He was actually talking to his fellow disciples. He says, this is an extraordinary claim. I need extraordinary proof. Show me the holes in his hands. He wasn't doubting God and asking him to do something for him. We walk by faith, not by sight. Look at Jesus' rebuke in Job. God allowed Satan to scatter him. I mean, that's, you know, talk about, thank you for that, God. 
because his theology at the time was if you are righteous, there'll be war. If you're unrighteous, God takes it away. That was the theology, and that's how his friends were speaking of him. God's doing this because, Job, you must have sinned somewhere. Job is tortured physically. Show me. I don't want to see it. And he, he, he says, let me follow through. Let me talk with God. Let me, let me lay out my case before him, and, and, and let's talk about this. And, and, and all these chapters in Job, he's got to go back and forth on this, and, and God silences the whole thing. God lifts. Um, And then we see in Job 38, God coming into plain view. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you when you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, I will answer you. How would you like to be that rebuke today. When we come up with reasons for why God did things, I think we might be darkening counsel by words without knowledge. You've got to be reminded. We also have an example in Romans, chapter 9. One of my favorite chapters, because most people hate it, because God's talking about predestination. That makes no sense to us, right? But if you look at Romans 9, there's no escaping the fact that he's got a job. And so Paul lays it all out, and he goes, you will say to me then, oh, why does he still find fault? And who resists his will? I, I love Paul's response. He says, on the contrary, who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? Stay in your lane. This isn't your business. So, God doesn't want us needing answers so we can trust him and have peace. Our trusting and our peace with God don't come from God doing his purposes and reasons for things. And we certainly don't want to make things up so we can have some kind of idea about this a little bit here in closing. Um, he has a formula for our peace. It's actually very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. We find it in John chapter 14 and 16. So turn there. John 14, 11. chapter. Chapter 14, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. He's walking from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is the passage, of course, in the area where he's walking by the vine, and he's saying, I'm the vine, and, and the branches abide in me. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. We talk about promises that we can claim. There's not a lot of promises that we can claim directly for ourselves. The promises that God made to others and other things, but this is a promise that Jesus made to us and we can claim it. Peace. Peace. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you. He'll bring to your remembrance all that I've said. He will work in your mind. He will bring to your remembrance the things we need to understand and grasp onto, the things our mind brings up that we need to shun. Chapter 16. Looking at verses 12. <clears throat> I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Holy Spirit, the truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Then verse 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. God's formula for our peace is not that we know the answers. God's formula is that we abide in him, walk in the Holy Spirit, trust in him, and he will give us peace thereby. Now is this easy? No, it's not. Why? Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it's still driving you to want those answers. We've all had that dilemma. Lord, I trust you, but I'm still tormented by this. Early in my career, <clears throat> we were surveying ostrich owls, little nests, all that kind of fun stuff. And we had a system of locating nests. So we, we had a marker on the road and then a compass bearing into the nest and the distance to walk to get there. And one day I was taking my boss and his boss, the forest supervisor, into this nest to talk about forest management and nesting and such and all that kind of fun stuff. Anyway, I put this compass bearing in there and we're there talking for a while and then it's time to leave. And I look at the compass and it says go this way. And yet I know in my brain the car is this way. So I lead us this way and we walk and we walk and we walk. And we walk. And this is a huge mess in the forest. There's lots of flat ground, lots of lodgepole pine. This was a cloudy day, and there was no way to know. And then finally, my boss said, are you sure we're going the right direction? And I said, foolish man that I am, I said, yeah, my compass says this, but I know there's something wrong with it because I know the car's over here. <laughs> I, was, I was young. I didn't know what in the world was, was up. Anyway, the lesson there is my brain was convincing me that that was true. And my compass was telling me that that was true. My brain was saying this is true. Compass was saying that was true. Anyway, we made it back to the car. There's no trouble with it. After that, and they said, both of them said, always trust your compass. <laughs> now, that's not easy. So two years ago, I was up in the wilderness, and I was walking around and doing my thing and heading back to the rig. And I knew it was a couple miles away across country. And and I was walking through this land. I knew it was over in that direction. And I got to a spot, and I'm thinking, you know, this just is not familiar country. I don't know where I am. So I break out the compass. And my brain tells me it's over here. And my compass says it's this direction. 
but I know it's over here. I know it's over here, and the tempest told me it's here, but I remember my lesson, so I called in my trumpet. And the answer, that's great. But it was hard. For the first quarter mile, I'm following my compass blindly, saying, this is right, this is right, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. And there's this cognitive dissonance going on in my brain, my body, everything, because I knew the car was over there, but the compass is telling me it's here. And finally, after about a quarter mile, I come to some training, I say, oh, this is familiar. And all of a sudden, my internal brain says, yeah, I knew it all along. Here it is. (laughs) And I say that because what I did back in my youth was I was following what my brain was saying, not what the truth was saying. And I was putting myself at risk, and I was taking people with me. And the lesson I take from that is that when I had to make that decision a couple years ago to follow my compass and not my brain, my brain was screaming at me while I was, my automatic brain was screaming at me while my reasoning brain was saying, no, 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 follow this instead. Our brains were working at odds with each other. And I pray that's what we have to do in the situation we find ourselves in today. When our hearts and our minds are screaming for us to do something, and we know that truth is not the best way to do it, we need to do what Job ultimately did. God berated Job in chapter 38, 39, 40, <laughs> 41. That's a lot of chapters. He was scolded by God. In the end, Job 42, verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Now hear, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of thee by hearing in the ear, but now my eyes have seen thee. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Job humbly came before God and said, I am wrong. My thinking, my theology is wrong. What I was saying was wrong. And I reject that and I accept what you tell me. And that's what we have to do as believers. We have to go through that difficult mental process of rejecting faulty thinking and embracing the truth from Scripture that God's formula for peace for us comes from trusting in Him, walking in the Spirit, and trusting in that promise that peace will come as a result. And absolutely put aside and reject any desire our flesh brings forth that says, I need an answer, I want an answer. Realize that's not coming at an urging from God or anyone else. I like to use the term embracing a lot in my life because it, 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 it envelops this whole concept of whenever I find myself in a new circumstance, I need to embrace the reality of that emotionally, mentally, physically, if appropriate, 
just embrace it as real, as true. The book called Deep Survival talks about why, why people die in the wilderness and why some people survive. It's those that embrace the reality of their situation and take action accordingly that survive. Those that don't and follow their mental map as opposed to the physical map, the ones that follow the mental map are the ones that die. They don't make it. So embrace it. Willingly and enthusiastically, embrace it. And mentally rejecting my need for answers to bring me peace. I have to let it go. I have to recognize that it's self-destructive and let that go. The other thing I have to do about this is mentally affirm to myself. This is a lot of self-talk. This is a lot of brain management. Mentally affirm to myself that walking in the Spirit brings peace. How do you walk in the Spirit? That's a different matter. And this is not easy. It's difficult psychologically, but what are you doing? You're training your brain. You're renewing your mind. You are bringing every thought captive so that we think rightly. And this is where you claim Jesus' promises. These are our prayers when we personally face disaster. This is the one you ask for. Lord, I don't know. Lord, I don't need to know. I trust in you. I will do my best to trust, rest, and obey. Help me to abandon my obsession with needing an answer. And I trust you to give me peace in this tortuous journey. When we need guidance from God's silence, when we want to interpret our own thoughts to you, you know what we pray. This is our prayer. Lord, I don't know. I know you're not Google Maps. I'm leaning this way in this decision. I want this in this decision. But even more, I want your best. Help me resist the folly of my own mind. Help me seek out all available considerations. Help me to reason honestly decide responsibly, and act confidently in faith, knowing that your word will be that lamp to my feet and light to my path. And that you will direct my steps as I plan my life. And for all situations, our prayer is that God will give us that peace that he promises in his word. are unsearchable and our judgments are inscrutable. And your riches are great. Your wisdom, your knowledge is great. And it's impossible for me to understand. Renew my mind so I see you for who you are and I thank you by faith for who you are that you cease questioning and rest in you. Give us that peace that you promise. In Jesus' name.